Welcome to the WEPC Discipleship Podcast, because the gospel changes everything. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, if you didn't, I'm sure y'all did, but you see that there are handouts in the back, uh, lesson 15. We are, um, I'm going to do something different this morning. Uh-oh, people are getting nervous. Um, so we are going to look at some books of the Bible. Uh, that's what we're doing this morning. We are looking at uh, 12 or 13 uh, books of the Bible. I know some of y'all are uh, skeptical, skeptical that we'll get through all of them, but um, but I've actually I think we will because I'm going to do something different uh, than in the past, which is I want to give us just a quick historical survey uh, and then um, and then just a, a little drops about each book. I'm not going to talk uh, give a, a strong background on every book because I realized. Uh, there are such great resources on the interwebs and probably the best one I know some of y'all have mentioned this to me and um, I hadn't really paid attention to it until uh, this past time getting ready for this but is the Bible Project videos have y'all been pay- have y'all paid attention to that yeah maybe Margie I think you were telling me about this uh, I think it would do you much better to watch the, you know, seven-minute video of the Bible Project video on each of these books than to listen to me ramble about each one. So what I think we'll do, instead of doing, you know, going in-depth on each book, I want to give us a little drop about each book. I want us to get a, a good sense of each one, both about what they're about and to give us some hope. Uh, I, for un, uh, unrelated reasons, we didn't meet last week. Um, uh, we didn't meet last week because we were originally planning on it, but then we realized, well, the youth and the children are meeting and all that other jazz. So we decided not to meet. Um, praise the Lord for the provi- sovereign providence over that because uh, I, was, I had COVID. Um, so I was sick both over Christmas and then you know I was still in quarantine last Sunday so that would have been weird that would have been hard to try to cancel last minute so it sort of worked out that um, we weren't here last week Um, but uh, I need hope when I was preparing for this and I was looking at these books I need to be reminded of the providence of God through the prophets and the hope that they offer because I mean, you can get to some of these books, like when we start looking at Joel, when we start looking at Habakkuk, uh, I mean, there's some, it, it gets pretty depressing. I mean, when we start looking at Daniel, uh, you know, Daniel is one of these books that children's Sunday schools look at, uh, but they only look at the first six chapters. Uh, after the first six chapters, it gets real crazy. Um, but I was looking at these and I'm like, oh, how can this be? helpful uh, to us. And then I realized, actually, there, uh, in each of these books, there is some serious hope. So um, if you remember from three weeks ago when we met, or maybe four weeks ago, I guess two weeks off, so three weeks ago, 
um, when we were started looking at profits, what did we talk about about the profits? Do you remember um, in lesson 14, we were talking about how to read prophecy? Do you remember this? And there's different groups of prophets, but how you read prophecy. Um, how do you read and understand prophecy? Um, are they, is it a fortune cookie or is it just the, yeah. Does anybody have any thoughts about this? I actually s sort of erased it this morning. The transcendence and the eminence of God. Do you remember what those are about? Yes and no. Remember, the, when we're talking about prophecy, when we're talking about the prophets, we need to see that God is over the whole thing, right? And he knows, he knows right now what the year 4,792 looks like. If the earth is still around before Jesus has come back to bring in the new heavens and the new earth, he knows what that looks like, right? And he knows who is going to the grocery store that day. And the, he knows who is traveling to the Andromeda galaxy on their little, uh, their little Jetson vehicle. Um, so he knows all that. But at the same time, he knows that at that year, as he's driving around in his Jetson uh, little uh, thing to go to the grocery store, he knows that as that man in his little space shuttle to go to the grocery store is praying this is the eminence of God, is praying that that man does work in his prayer. He is working with the will of God. If he's praying in the will of God, that God actually will move from his prayers. If he's praying in his Jetson little car and he's saying, Lord Jesus, I pray for my son who is uh, you know, driven to addiction right now for whatever it is, I'm praying for my son. The Lord moves. Do you, do you understand that? Like the Lord knows what's happening. He's sovereign over the whole thing. That's the transcendence. But at the same time, as we are praying, the Lord's will is moved to our prayers. Does that make sense? The Lord's will is moved to our prayers. I think that's important to say before we get jump into all this, because the reason why we're doing this is discipleship class is all about are we being transformed? How do we be trans how do we be transformed? How are we transformed? We are transformed through the work of the Holy Spirit. But we're also transformed, not also, we are transformed by the work of the Spirit through our uh, work as we abide by the Word of God. As we abide by Jesus, we are working and we are moving, we are praying. The eminence of God, He is with us, He hears us. And as we look at these different prophecy, prophets, we are going to see that um, the Lord is big and He's little. He's big and He's little. So, um, yeah, before I jump into that, is, did, that uh, did that offend anybody or strike any, anything from anybody? Could you say more about that? Like, I'm intrigued with that. The Lord's will is moved to our prayers. What exactly? Yeah, I mean, Vonda, when you are, uh, uh, that's an excellent question. The Lord's will is moved by our prayers. By or to? Uh, sure, yes. Oh. I would say by and to. It's the same, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 
we do not have a vending machine God, right? Okay, so I'm going to speak uh, uh, against what I was just saying. We do not have a vending machine God. We do not have a God that we just say, give me A3, I want this. And God's like, okay, I guess I have to give it to you. Like, no, that's not the kind of God we have. Nor do we have a genie where we just say, like, I wish this, and he just gives it to us. But we also don't have a God that is so aloof, so far off, so estranged, like the Greek gods who are sort of against humanity, that they have their own thing doing, and we and humanity has their own thing, and sometimes it's against, sometimes it's with. That's not the Christian God. The Christian God is a God that is transcendent. He is so big. Sorry, I keep mentioning these uh, big words, these, you know, this transcendence of God, this transcendent God that is big, that is over everything, and he has a perfect will, knows everything. But we also have an imminent God that's with us. Imminent, I'm spelling that wrong, I'm sure. Imminent, I can't remember. Uh, We also have an imminent God that moves to our prayers. And so to answer your question, Vonda, when, uh, when I pray for a marriage in the church that is falling apart, which is on a daily basis. Um, I am praying, I am praying for God to heal that broken marriage. I'm praying for God to heal that broken marriage. The Lord is with me. He hears my prayers and he is moved by the prayers of a righteous man, a righteous person. He is moved by that and listens to the prayers of the righteous person and responds to those prayers. He answers those prayers. Every prayer is answered. Now, it may not be answered according to the way I want it to happen. Uh, So when a broken marriage is breaking apart, now I trust that the Lord knows, and he's perfect and wonderful, and he knows the perfect plan, not just for those those, that married couple, but also the children, if they're involved, and the, the beyond witness. And the Lord uses all that stuff for his own good and for, or for his own glory and for our own good. Um, but I'm praying in my own way. I, I, I pray all that. I know that. But I'm like, please save this marriage. Like, that's my will. That's what I desire. But I also know that God's going to move and he's going to change me. He's going to change them. He's going to change all this stuff. The Lord is in charge, but he hears our prayers and he w- walks with us in that. Does that make sense? It, it is a fine line. I understand that there's, uh, um, it, it can be hard to understand the line there because, like I said, we don't believe in a vending machine God, nor do we believe in an aloof God. And so we believe in a God that is big and little all at the same time. Uh, does that make sense? What you're talking about, I think it's corrective teaching on God's sovereignty. Because, you know, this is, that's where this gets mixed up. We think God, because we believe in his sovereignty, that he has, he has ordered our yeah. lives and the lives to come and the yeah. world as it works. Well, yeah. in our fallenness, we tend to think, well, then that means it's just fait accompli. It's already yeah. set. Yeah. There's nothing I can say or do that will ever change this, which leads us into fatalism. Yeah. But the reason we believe what you just said is because God's word shows that he does relent. Now, we right. don't know why he relents or when he relents or if he yeah. will. Yeah. But it looks to us from scripture like we ought to pray as if he might yeah. in those situations. Yeah. 
So I think yeah. the challenge sometimes for me is I believe it can change that failed marriage. Yeah. I believe he can eradicate that cancer. Yeah. At least intellectually. But do I yeah. pray like I really believe he'll do it? And right. even in the face of it looking like the marriage right. is, you know, at yeah. the eleventh hour or the cancer is yeah. eating the person away, do I still believe he can heal? I yeah. think that's a challenge for us. Yeah. And I think there's a discipline in prayer. Yeah. You can do this. Yeah. I need yeah. to accept it may not be your plan. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we give up and just say, Well, I knew all along you wouldn't save the marriage. You wouldn't right. this is how it right. goes. Right. And we have to kind of I think correct ourselves to realize we don't know the mind of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for saying that. The, in our tradition, we believe very firmly in the sovereignty of God, which can lead us to fatalism, like you were making mention of, Richard. It can lead us to, well, this is just whatever's going to happen. But we also believe that the gospel changes everything. We also believe that we are imperfect creatures and in an imperfect creation, and God is redeeming it. God is moving and changing everything. Amen to that. Yeah. Amen to that. This is, uh, some of y'all are wondering why, when are we going to get to the, to get to the, uh, the books? We are uh, talking about it because almost all of these guys talk about this issue over and over and over again. Uh, the, all of these guys are dealing with the issue of a big God and a little God. And the other word that I will say that, over, that is overriding this whole thing, and we've mentioned it before, is the covenant. Um, and this is one of the big questions that is, uh, runs through almost all of these prophets is, um, um, did God forget us? And if we are honest, we would say that is a question that is in the background of our minds every day. Did God forget us? We ask this question almost implicitly, uh, regularly, maybe not daily, but regularly. Did God forget us? And so remember, I'm not going to do this long, but remember, uh, how many tribes of Israel are there? Yeah, there are 12 tribes of Israel. And remember, I'm, I'm just, I don't have any room, but, you know, there was, there was Israel. And who was the first king of Israel? Saul was the first king, and he was the king, and then who came after Saul? David, David. yeah. And David was really the first, Saul and David, and then for the early bits of Solomon, were the only kings that ruled over a united kingdom, okay? Remember that. They were the only kings that ruled over a united kingdom because really even during that time, even during the time of Saul, the very early united kingdom time, it really wasn't united. It was two kingdoms together. It was the northern kingdom, which were 10 tribes, and then the southern kingdom, which were two tribes. And that was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, and then the other 10. Uh, the, even during the time of Saul, David, and Solomon, when you, I don't have the references in front of me, but even during these times, they make mention of... Um, the two tri- the two kingdoms together. Uh, you know, David became king of Judah for, and he was king of Judah for a long time before he became king of Israel. So they refer to these northern tribes as Israel, and they refer to the southern tribes as Judah. Sorry. 
So there's Israel and Judah. Now they were united during this time all together, you know, referred to as Israel or Judah, whichever one you want to call it. And then what happens after that? What happens after Solomon? It splits. And then pretty much the rest of the time there were two nations. There was the nation of Israel and there was the nation of Judah. And um, the covenant, remember God started this covenant with Abraham. He started with, with uh, he continued it with Moses, and he's in this covenant relationship with God, or with his people. And so the kingdom of Assyria in 722 comes in and wipes out Israel. We've talked about that in the past. 722, Assyria comes in and wipes out Israel, takes them away. And then from that point on, there's Judah. And the last time we were together, we looked at some of the prophets that are in our scripture that uh, were prophesying to the nation of Israel during this time, uh, and or they were prophesying to the nation of Judah during this time as well. Um, You know, Jonah, remember Jonah was a guy that went to Assyria, uh, or Nineveh, which is the kingdom of Assyria, the capital of Assyria. Uh, Amos, he's up in the northern tribe. Uh, Hosea, Um, Isaiah, Micah, you know, all these guys. This is all during this time when they were together. And then in 722, this comes, Assyria comes and wipes out uh, the northern tribe. And so then we get to Zephaniah. Zephaniah was uh, ministering to Judah after the time of Israel's gone. So I'm just going to erase it. Israel has been taken away. And they are under Assyrian control. And now there's just the kingdom of Judah. Uh, Zephaniah, he's ministering to Judah uh, during the reign of Josiah. So the kingdom of Judah had, I'm just going to mention two, right now, I'm just going to mention two kings that are important. And the first one is the king of Judah during the time when they were just alone and they're up with Assyria is the king of Manasseh. What do you know about Manasseh? He was a horrible, horrible king. Uh, king. Horrible, horrible king. Um, commits some uh, heinous sins that we're not going to go into, but the worst sins was the sin of idolatry and uh, worshipped pagan idols in the, the, uh, in the temple in Jerusalem. Horrible, horrible king. And we read in, not reference in front of me, but in 2 Kings, um, that uh, because of the sin of Manasseh, God said, God told his prophets, God told his people, because of the sin of Manasseh, you, Judah, are going into exile. Now, it hadn't happened yet. But God told the people, because of the sin of Manasseh, you, Judah, are going to go into exile. And so the people of God had been hearing over and over again from different prophets that they're going to go into exile. But they hadn't yet gone into exile. And in fact, at this time, the nation of Assyria is starting to like dwindle in power. Babylon is rising, but that's not really true. You know, that's not really strong yet, not really a threat. Egypt... They're not really a threat. And so the kingdom of Judah actually is feeling pretty strong. And Manasseh, he goes away, he dies. 
And then they actually bring in another king. There's the second king I'll mention, which is the king of Josiah. What do you know about King, king Josiah? Yeah, he was pretty good. Now, I'm just going to say, we think of Josiah as good because he did some really good things, but also because we're comparing him to this dude. Josiah was actually not that great of a king. He did some pretty terrible stuff as well, but he did have some reforms. He did have some things where he's like, wait, we should... I've heard that there's this like book of the covenant somewhere around here. Should we like read that? I mean, honestly, it's like scandalous and crazy that the people of God lived for years to the point where they didn't even know that there was a word of God. They didn't even know there was a covenant. There were some people, the prophets were speaking, but it really was, I mean, Josiah was a a a pen light in a really dark, dark time. Uh, I don't want to take away from Josiah. Josiah was a great king, uh, but he also, you know, was great in comparison. And so Zephaniah, uh, back to the back to the the handout. Zephaniah is um, during the reign of Josiah, and so the people see Josiah, and there's some reforms that are happening. But Zephaniah wants us to see that there is, even in spite of the reforms of Josiah, God said something. God said that there will be an exile. God said that there will be judgment on the sin of Judah because of Manasseh, because of the sin of the people. There is an impending doom, an impending exile. Uh, But even in the midst of that, there will be a promised restoration. Even in the midst of impending doom and aggression, um, uh, there is a promised, uh, there is a promised restoration. Uh, his message, Zephaniah's message, is mixed in a balance of judgment and salvation. The main purpose, I think, can be stated that what Zephaniah wants to express is Judah. You should see that the exile is coming, but there is an ultimate heart of restoration that God has for you. You will be restored. I'm just going to read Zephaniah. Three. Hold on, let me get to Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3. Um, I'm not going to read this whole section. You can read it later. Zephaniah 3, 9 through 20. Uh, this is in the midst of a lot of his prophecies uh, that began with woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city. I mean, he's judging Jerusalem, the people, the Judah. And then at the same time, just verse 9, he says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in the holy mountain. And it continues. Uh, when you read that, I want you to hear Zephaniah is saying judgment's coming, but there is hope. There is hope. There is hope of full restoration. So I'm going to move on. If you want to read, if you want to learn more about Zephaniah, you should watch the Bible Project videos, uh, Bible summary of each of these books. So Zephaniah um, just finished. We just finished looking at Zephaniah. Habakkuk 
is the next book that's sort of chronological. Remember, we're looking at this chronologically, not canonologically. Uh, this is uh, still during the same time, not necessarily during the time of Josiah, but still during the time of Judah living alone. Uh, and it's a short book, and uh, it is a book about um, this question of why do wicked prosper? The southern kingdom should learn to regret your sins. This is what Habakkuk wants us to see. But also take heart from God's responses that he will ultimately destroy your destroyer. You, he will destroy your destroyer. Um, and so uh, I am not going to say much more about that other than reading Habakkuk 2 because I think this is one of the best ones. Habakkuk 2. Um, two through four. You've heard this before. I will read this. This is three verses. Um, and the Lord answered me. This is Habakkuk speaking. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So in other words, he's saying that there has been, um, there has been, uh, there will be exile that's coming. There is judgment and there is a promised restoration. There is promised uh, redemption, but it seems like I don't see it. It seems like God has forgotten us and Habakkuk is answering the question, has God forgotten us? Why is it that it looks like Babylon, this large looming enemy, is going to come in and destroy us? It seems like our hope is lost. And he's saying, yes, it looks like it's not here. It looks like it's not coming. But if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but, and this is the reason why I'm reading it, the Habakkuk 2, 4b, if you will, says this, the righteous shall live by his faith. Have you ever heard that before? What? Once or twice, the righteous, righteous shall live by his faith. In other words, he's answering the question, did God forget us by saying no and even though it doesn't look like it, faith is remembering that God remembers us. Faith is remembering that God remembers us. Because remember, they're, they're looking at, I mean, they're looking at impending destruction that's coming down upon them. And uh, did God forget his covenant? Did God forget his people? They need to be reminded that uh, even in the spite, uh, even in spite of, and in the face of impending destruction, there is hope that's coming. So the next book I want us to look at is Jeremiah. Have you guys ever heard of Jeremiah? He's one of the major prophets. Um, and what's the difference between major and minor? Yeah, just the length of the book. The reason why I keep hitting upon that issue is because sometimes we want to pay more attention to Jeremiah than to Habakkuk. Uh, just because Jeremiah is a major prophet. But he's not any more important than this guy. It's just, he just wrote a lot more. <laughs> and 
to be fair to Jeremiah, uh, because he wrote a lot more, there's a lot more information that we have. Uh, there's a lot more information that we have about the history of the time. And he was a prophet during a major time uh, in the people of God. Remember, these first two were prophesying during a time when there was this tribe. Jeremiah was prophesying during the time of the Babylonian uh, the Babylonian exile. They, he was the time of when Babylon was coming in to uh, take over. So um, in short, I promise you I'm not going to do this long, but I just think it's helpful to see. This was helpful to me, especially in regards to Daniel, the next guy, um, is so gamesmanship aside. Assyria has gone down. Babylon is this other empire that sees a, uh, a, um, a vacuum, okay? They see that Assyria is going down. And we are focused on these. No one cares about these two nations. No one cares about these two nations. The only reason why we're talking about these two nations is because God cares about these two nations. But no one else, when we're talking about Assyria, they're up here, Babylon's up here, Egypt is down here, uh, you know, um, Persia comes in later, they're over here because it basically takes over Babylon. Uh, you know, they're the major superpowers. If you took world history stuff, we would talk about these guys, not this little tiny little nation. And so Assyria has gone down, there's a vacuum of power, and... Uh, a, the Neo-Babylonian period, they come in and they take over Assyria. And in 612, Babylon destroys Nineveh. So we'll just say Nineveh's up here. Nineveh, Babylon comes in and they destroy Nineveh. And so that's in uh, around 612. And so these guys see the growing superpower of Babylon and also the growing superpower of Egypt down here, and they have to make a decision. What are we gonna do? Like, Assyria already came in, and now Babylon's gonna come in and just sort of take care this. The northern tribe is really just gone, and so what are we gonna do? Uh, and the prophets are saying, lean on the Lord, trust on the Lord, don't make uh, bedfellows with horrible, horrible people, just lean on the Lord and trust in the Lord. Do they listen to the Lord? No, they don't. They're like, hmm, we should make, um, we should make treaties with the other nations. And so Judah uh, has the king Jehoiakim at this time, and he's pretty much pro-Egyptian. And so after three years, uh, so Jehoiakim makes a treaty with Babylon. And he says, hey, Babylon, just don't come in and destroy us. Leave us alone. And Babylon's okay. But then Jehoiakim really likes Egypt, and he thinks Egypt is going to win out. And he was wrong. And so Jehoiakim uh, basically revolts against Babylon, stops sending their stuff. Does Babylon like it when Jehoiakim Judah rebels against them? No, they don't. And so Babylon comes in. And the king of Babylon at this time is a guy that we've all heard, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar comes in 
in, uh, oh shoot, I didn't write down the year, but um, it, it, it's, it's like um, around 600 and Nebuchadnezzar comes in and doesn't wipe him out just yet, but goes in to Jerusalem, takes over Jerusalem, takes all of the important people of Jerusalem. He does, he doesn't destroy Jerusalem yet. He wants to destroy them economically and politically and uh, socially. So he takes all of the, the educated people and ships them off to Babylon. Four of those people that get shipped off at that time are Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Daniel, uh, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, those, you know, that's what happens. Jerusalem's still around. Judah's still around. But then uh, Daniel goes over there. We're going to talk about them. And then, you know, more things happen. And Judah eventually says, well, you know what? We're still going to go with Egypt. Does Babylon like that? No. And so in 586 or 87, depending on who you listen to, 586 or 587, Babylon comes in and destroys Jerusalem. Jeremiah is a prophet during this whole time. Jeremiah is a prophet during all of this. And if you want to learn more about all the stuff that I was just talking about, read Jeremiah. Jeremiah actually talks about the history of what happens uh, and Jeremiah is ministering during the time of Judah, during the time of uh, all of that intrigue we were just talking about, the Sennacherib invasion, we're not going to talk about that now, and even a, a prophet in Jerusalem during the, ta- the early parts of the exile. The book Lamentations co- is written by Jeremiah, and it is really just all about the fall of Jerusalem. Lamentations is... Say again? Yeah. I mean, I think it's easy for us to look back and say all these things have been recorded, you know, but they took place during a certain time in a certain place. And so what's the reality of those messages in that time and place? Yeah. All of Jeremiah was compiled in the exile. So all of Jeremiah was written, what we have written of Jeremiah and what we have written of Lamentations was written by the, was compiled by Jeremiah's followers, compiled by the people of God and read and uh, worshipped, or not, that was not worshipped, but God was worshipped through that scripture uh, during the exilic period. And so I'm just talking about the settings, not necessarily the, um, the composition of the books. But I would say on all of these, every single one of these people were historical people. They prophesied in their historical period. What we have recorded and written in our Bibles are the oral tradition of those things that were recorded by the people of God after that um, and, and then dispersed. So... Oh, without a doubt. And we're going to talk about that, especially when we get to one of my favorite prophets of Ezekiel. Yes, Kathy? I'm wondering what happened to the people that were in, uh, taken exile to, in Assyria from Israel during the time that, that 
Yeah. Where were the people of God from, from Israel when they were uh, taken over by Assyria? Yeah. No, they, they weren't really, yeah, they weren't really uh, Judahites. Uh, what they sort of, they were assimilated into the people and uh, a people group sort of came from that. And that people group were the Sumerians. So the Sumerians, when we hear about the Good Samaritan, the Sumerians that Jesus is interacting with were actually the northern tribe. Those were the northern, that was the northern kingdom. Um, and so they're cousins, right? They're cousins, but, uh, but now mixed with all that stuff. I mean, this is what, it makes it, it's so weird to us in 21st century to hear, but especially like Malachi and, and uh, Nehemiah, like, these are guys that talk about intermarriage a lot as if it's so terrible. And I, we read the Bible and we're like, that's kind of weird and actually maybe slightly offensive. I'm not quite sure. Should I be offended? Uh, but the reason was for them especially was because the, um, the worship of Yahweh, the worship of God, was very ethnic-centric. It was all about the people of God, Israel. And you know, Solomon himself, I erase his name, but Solomon himself was a great example of a king that uh, his intermarriage was one of the reasons why he went and started worshiping idols. Um, I mean, we see that in, we see that in, in Moses's life. Uh, we see that in a lot of people's lives in the, in scriptures, the intermarriage leads to idolatry. I don't want to go into that much further. But by intermarriage, One hundred percent. Yes, not about the race or ethnicity of that person. It's about yeah, you're going to be yoked to uh, a wife or a husband or a concubine that is all about worshiping Baal, and that's not good. Uh, I mean, we see this over and over again in our lives now. Is if you know, I I pray for my children every day. I pray for the future spouses of my children every day. And I tell other parents, pray for your children and pray for the future spouses of your children because the future spouses of my children are so important to the faith of my children. Okay. Um, I'm going to move on. Jeremiah, probably the best thing to read in Jeremiah is Jeremiah 31. We've all heard it. That's my hope verse Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 is the reminder of this new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Notice he mentions both houses, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. This is the covenant with Moses. My covenant that they broke, the covenant with Moses they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I think he's referring to the house of Israel combining both houses at the time. That I will make with the house of Israel, the new Israel, if you will, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, 
for they shall all know me from the, la from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Amen. And Lamentations is written by Jeremiah. Uh, it is a lament. If you want to be, uh, it, it's, it's hard to read Lamentations. Uh, some really horrible things happen. If you want to know about ancient Near East warfare, read Lamentations and find out uh, some horrible stuff. And more to Patrick's point, Lamentations was a reminder to people during the exile, looking back, this is what happened when you rebelled against God. Look back and see uh, the horrible things that happened when the fault, when Jerusalem fell. And so Lamentations 3 is a, a great one, 322. Uh, you've all heard this. In fact, many people have this cross-stitched on pillows. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Such wonderful verses. And if you read all the other verses around it, such horrible destruction. That actually might tell us something. Like, that is of such beautiful verses. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Um, and yet all the other verses are about severe affliction, destruction, death, mutilation, uh, a reminder that the steadfast love never ceases even when it looks like they do. Um, so I'm going to move on because that's Lamentations. And then Daniel, we all know the story of Daniel, especially as I mentioned those first six uh, chapters are those great stories. You know, Daniel in the lion's den is Daniel 6. Um, uh, it was around this time, remember I was making mention Daniel was shipped off uh, to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the first half of the book is a court narrative about all the different times that he ministers. Daniel, by the time he goes in the lion's den, is like 60 or 70. He's really, I was just about to say, he's really old. Um, for that time, for that time. Uh, but he was an older man. Uh, when he was thrown into the lines. And because, remember, he was ministering during Nebuchadnezzar, uh, during Darius the Mede, during, I mean, um, uh, Babylon had sort of come and gone. Babylon was there when he was taken away. And then by the time he was done, Persia was the kingdom that was ruling. And so I only make mention of the fact that Daniel ministered for a very long time. Um, and... The last half of Daniel is shocking and uh, reminder, it reminds me of uh, Revelation um, in its apocalyptic prophecy. And my favorite little section of Daniel is Daniel 2. So it's in that earlier court narrative. It is that dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Remember this whole story about Daniel interpreting? Nebuchadnezzar has some dreams and he says, hey guys, if you can interpret my dreams, then you get gold. And they were like, okay, tell us a dream. He's like, no, you got to tell me the dream and the interpretation and no one can do it. And then, you know, Daniel is like, well, actually I can because the Lord does it, not me. Uh, and so Daniel went and he said, okay, here's your dream, Nebuchadnezzar. And he dreamed about this uh, monstrosity of uh, a statue that was 
bronze, iron, steel. It's not steel. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. The, there are four. I can't remember what they are. But um, silver, bronze, clay, and iron. Thank you. But in Daniel 2, 31 to 35, so he's interpreting the dream. And in that dream, there was that statue, and then there was a stone that got thrown to them. And all those statues are about, you know, Babylon, Persia, and probably eventually the Roman Empire under Alexander and uh, all the, the great history. And Daniel's seeing a lot of that history. 31 to 35, this is Daniel saying, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Oh, I should have just kept just started reading this. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and armors of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That stone, which was cut out by no human hand, is Jesus. So Daniel is prophesying of this man that will come that will destroy all these kingdoms. We're talking about all this gamesmanship that's happening between Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, Persia, all that stuff. And Jesus will come in and he will strike that image down and he will become a great mountain filling the whole earth. Praise God for that. Uh, And then Joel is uh, another prophet that is hard to pin down on his timeline because... He doesn't mention anything historical. Uh, Jeremiah mentions super historical things. Joel doesn't mention much that can link it to a historical time period, uh, but it probably is during the um, uh, the Sennacherib invasion. Maybe Judah was still around. We're not quite sure, but it was a lament. And one thing that Joel keeps saying over and over again is the day of the Lord. If there's one thing you should remember about the prophet Joel, it is the day of the Lord. He mentions that a few times, uh, quite a few times. And I'm just going to read this, Joel 2, 28 to 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. The reason why I read that is because Peter specifically mentions this in the prophecy, and Luke in Acts mentions this in the prophecy of the prophecy of Pentecost, of the spirit of God being poured out on his people in Pentecost in Acts 2. Uh, That's the prophet of Joel. And then we get to to Ezekiel. I've made mention that he's my favorite prophet because he is kooky and weird. Uh, If you've ever read Ezekiel, uh, there are people that think that maybe he had mental illnesses. Um, Some have identified him as schizophrenic or epileptic or catatonic or psychotic or paranoid. Uh, 
he like a prophet and this is answers more of what patrick was saying about like were they street corner preachers we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that ezekiel was he was a street corner preacher uh, because he used a lot of object lessons um, in ezekiel 4 god tells him lie on your left side for 390 days and then turn over and lie on your le- on your right side for 40 days 40 for the 40 years that they were in the in in um in uh, the wilderness 390 days for the years that you, that there will be uh silence um and he makes mention in four one uh, in chapter four one of the verses about eating unappealing bread during this time a lot uh, the king james version makes mention that he ate breads made of bread made of dung uh most scholars don't believe it was it was poop he was eating. They, they just think it was just unappealing bread. Uh, but King James Version has dung, so that's what everyone believes. Um, in chapter 5, God tells him, shave your head with a sword. Like, take a sword and shave it. I use that, but just take a sword and shave it. And then take a third of your hair and burn it. Hack a third of it with your sword and then the other third blow it into the wind and he's making he's saying if you don't repent you will burn if you don't repent you will be hacked to death if you don't repent you will be blown away uh in 12 in chapter 12 he carries luggage out into the god tells him carry luggage out into the town square dig a hole in the wall and pass through it sort of saying that's what's going to happen you're going to go uh into exile you're going to be destroyed you're going to go into exile and you're going to have to run away in the middle of the night with luggage um you know maybe we shouldn't margie because i don't believe he was mentally ill i believe that he was simply just a man who was told what he should do Amen to that. Amen to that. Uh, and the, probably the last uh, image that I'll, I'll make mention of, and this is one of the most famous ones, is in Ezekiel 24, uh, his wife dies, and God commands him not to mourn the death of his wife, uh, which is in direct violation of Scripture and, or not of Scripture, but in tradition at the time, uh, and is just scandalous. Um, but he's telling, God is telling Ezekiel, uh, death is coming and we don't mourn uh, in the face of death uh, because it, it was brought on by our own sin. Uh, it is an intensely personal book. Uh, you experience Ezekiel, not just his message. Uh, I, you know, Joel, we don't know really much about Joel at all. We just know his message. We know a lot about Ezekiel. We know his person because it's very it's very experiential the way you read his book um uh obviously we don't have time to read this whole thing but ezekiel ends with a great vision from ezekiel 40 that chapter 40 all the way to the end of chapter 48 and it's this great vision ezekiel has uh, just crazy visions his his prophecy is it begins with that um that chariot on fire with the the wheels that are like turning on fire that's the beginning of ezekiel it's crazy and then the the book ends with this vision of the temple it is a vision of the future it is a vision of heaven it is a vision of the great temple of god with 
rivers flowing out of it, all the people of God coming and worshiping at the center of the temple. Uh, It's a beautiful vision of uh, heaven. And the very last verse of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 48, 35, the circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits. That's what he says. And the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. That's the end vision of heaven. That's the end vision of scripture is uh, that great city. The Lord is there. Amen. Amen. Uh, And then we get to this other book, Ezra and Nehemiah. The reason why I put it together is because everyone believes, all scholars believe that these are actually just one book. It was not two books. We just divided it up because that's what we like to do. Um, But Ezra and Nehemiah is one book when it was originally put together. Um, The Hebrew scriptures have it together as one book. But uh, it's 50 years after the exile. Ezra and Nehemiah are about some of the people. So the king of Persia, king of Persia, remember they took over. King of Persia is Cyrus. And he commands, or he, uh, he allows people to return to Jerusalem in, what year was it? Uh, uh, 540 maybe, Five, it's, it's, you know, I, I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, but uh, he commands they return, um, Cyrus is, uh, you know, 538, that's what it is. 538, Uh, and it's about this first generation of returnees from the Babylonian exile back to uh, Jerusalem. Ezra and Nehemiah tell the story about these two guys and Zerubbabel, Um, and all that I'll say about that, it's it's a great story. We've mentioned it before. In, In our scripture, Ezra and Nehemiah is way back at the beginning, or it's way back earlier than the point of scripture we've been looking at because it's part of the historical narrative. Um, um, Yeah. And uh, what I am going to make mention of is Ezra reads the law. I think this is great. Such a, you know, actually I'm going to stop there. I I realize I was getting rushed and I don't want to, I don't want to be rushed. And so we have a few other books, so I was wrong. We're not going to get through all the books. I was trying. I was trying, guys. I was trying. Uh, but I am, I am at, a, at a, a stopping point. I don't want to just rush. And so we will pick up at Ezra and Nehemiah next time. Um, uh, and we also will, because I don't want to get too far behind, Gary. I don't want to get too far behind. And so... No, I don't think we're, I don't think I'm going to. Next time, we're going to look at those remaining books, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and Esther. And in fact, I had a moment where I wondered, did we skip a book? We might have. Did we skip Obadiah? I think I might have skipped Obadiah. I will, we, I will check that out and we will come back, come back to that. that we would go back to that we yeah i i was originally planning on doing it in 14 so maybe we'll also look at obadiah if you have time on these books 
go watch the uh, Bible Project video summary videos. They're like seven minutes each, super great, very helpful, and it gives you a survey of each of the books. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that you are so powerful and so big and so other that you are in control of uh, the movement of nations and you are in control of grocery lists and you are in control of even, um, even cancer, even death, that you, Lord, are big and in control of everything. And Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you also are small and you are with us. And just as that great vision of Ezekiel, uh, your, your kingdom is titled, the Lord is there, that you are here in our lives, you are with us. Help us, Jesus, to believe that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Joe. Yeah.